0: We need to hear from you today, oh Lord. God, we need your help as always so that we would uh, hear your word today, oh God, and believe it. Lord, I ask that you would help me, God, to rightly divide the word of truth for your people. The last thing they need to do is hear from another man. They need to hear from their God and their king, oh Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you would help me today, God, Help me, God, to show your people your glory in Christ. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. So today, if you have your handout, our topic is on evangelism, specifically on being intentional and strategic in evangelism. So I believe this is, what, week seven, eight? Week 8, I'm not, I'm sorry. Huh. Week 8, I'm filling in for Brother Doug, Deacon Doug. And so, like I said, again, the topic is on being intentional and strategic in evangelism. So if you don't have a handout there on the seats over there. So 1 Timothy 1.15 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So this was the Lord Jesus Christ's main intention, and he carried it out to the very end. Not only was our Lord Jesus Christ intentional about saving his people, saving his church, but we could see in the book of Acts that his apostles— were both also both intentional and strategic during their gospel ministries as well. If you have your Bibles, please turn them to Acts 17. So this this Bible study today, we're going to spend the first little part here showing a sanctified illustration of strategic and intentional evangelism. And then we'll get into the later part of this study to show some practical ways that we can go about doing these things, all right? So Acts 17, we'll be reading verses 1 through 3. This is an excellent example of intentional and strategic evangelism for the glory of God. The Word of God says, now when they passed through Amphipolis in Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead And saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So just for a little bit of context, in the previous chapter, Acts 16, Paul and Silas were in Philippi, and if you know the story at all, you know that they weren't treated very hospitably by the people there. And they left that town. And they, they left that town and they went to, the Bible says, they passed through Amphipolis in Apollonia. It literally means that they traveled through these two cities. Now, when we see that, what that means is, is that they intentionally decided to bypass two cities, right, Amphipolis and Apollonia, and then stop at Thessalonica. So we should ask the question, why? Well, history tells us that Philippi and Epiphanes and Apollonia and the city of Thessalonica, they were all along this Roman highway named the Via Ignatia, right? This highway was built in somewhere around the 2nd century, and it was an important route for trade, in military operations throughout this entire region of the empire of Rome. And history also tells us that Thessalonica is the capital of Macedonia, and it was the center for business and trade. The only other city in that area was that was even close to the size and, and influence of Thessalonica was Corinth, and that this city, Thessalonica, was located on this very important trade route and it was next to a very busy harbor with a lot of ships coming in and out to a lot of different places. So we can conclude just from looking at this that the decision to stop in Thessalonica was intentional. It was strategic because the apostle Paul and Silas understood that going to preach in Thessalonica would affect the broadest possible area and help to advance the gospel message more effectively, okay? This is the same strategy that Paul used in Acts, or I'm sorry, in Corinth in Acts 19. It says that, uh, that Luke says that Paul stayed in Corinth for two years, and the reason he decided to stay there was so that all the residents of Asia could hear the word of the Lord. So it, it's, it's Paul's intention, what he does strategically and intentionally is goes to a place where—goes to a city or goes to a um, town where that entire region could hear the gospel. He would go to the most influential, largest city, start there, and then spread out from that place, okay? That would be like if somebody came to Nevada, hey, we're going to go preach the gospel in Nevada, They wouldn't start in Christian's favorite place, Pahrump. They would start in Las Vegas because it's the largest city and then go from there. So it's strategic and, 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 and intentional. So we can conclude that Paul's coming to this city was not a spur of the moment idea. He wasn't just like on this highway and decided, oh, I don't like that city. I don't like the food there. No, he, he intentionally went to the place that was going to affect the broadest possible reach, that was going to give him the broadest possible reach and so that he could be as effective as possible given his role as an apostle. So we see that Paul's evangelistic strategy was to, be, was to deliberately target the largest, most influential city in the area. But if we look further at this, passage. We'll also see something else that he did that was deliberate in verse one. I'm sorry, verse two. It says there was a synagogue of the Jews there, and Paul went in, and then it says this phrase, as was his custom, right? Now, the idea that Luke is trying to convey here is is that Paul made it a habit of going to the synagogue, right? So the Holman Standard Bible actually translates that phrase as usual. He went into the synagogue as usual. And in other words, this is what Paul always does. Right? He goes, he goes into a city. Or he looks at an area. He looks at the map and he goes, what's the biggest, most, what's the most strategic place that I can go to? He goes to the city and he goes to the synagogue. You see that in Acts 13.5 in Salimus. You see that in Acts 13 14 in Antioch. At Acts 14, he does that same thing in Iconium. In Acts 17, he does it in Berea. In Acts 18, he does it at Corinth. And in Acts 18 19, he does it at Ephesus. So, regardless of the circumstance that led him to that particular place, he made it a habit of first going to the synagogue and preaching the gospel. Okay? None of that's by chance. He's doing this intentionally and strategically. This act of going into the synagogue, the Bible says, was his custom. It It was a part of the fabric of his lifestyle. It was something that he did as a matter of routine. He did it intentionally, strategically, and deliberately. Paul had a detailed plan for how he was going to use his life To share the gospel okay so the question for us is how can we be the same how can we be the same so the rest of this study we'll be thinking through some practical ways to be strategic and intentional in our own lives amen so that's what our goal is is to have a strategic intentional plan yes sir Sure. The only point that I'm trying to make is, is that Paul didn't do this. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't. It wasn't happen chance. It wasn't coincidence. It wasn't. He wasn't flying by the seat of his his pants. He actually had a plan, a detailed plan for how he was going to strategically and deliberately spread the gospel. Okay. So yes, you're right, brother. It is God's plan ultimately, but he was following it. Right. So, <clears throat> if you're looking at your handouts, right, and you're looking at the uh, Roman numerals, what we're trying to put forward here today is, is that <clears throat> the idea that we can be both intentional and strategic, intentional and strategic in our evangelism by doing three things. By identifying barriers in our lives— right? Identifying those barriers and removing them. That's one way. The second way, Roman numeral number two, is by building bridges from everyday life to eternal conversations. And the third way is by being intentional and strategic with your own life. Those are the three ways to live strategically for the sake of the gospel. Those are the three ways that we can be intentional and strategic. Now, this word strategy it's a big buzzword. You hear people using it all the time. I don't want to uh, misuse this word, okay? I want to clarify what I mean when I say being strategic. All I mean is, is that you have a plan, okay? You just you have some kind of plan in place for how you're going to do this, how you're going to share the gospel with your neighbors, your loved ones, your coworkers, etc., etc., etc. That's all I mean by strategic, okay? So, Roman numeral number one is be intentional in evangelism, right? I'm sorry, is identify barriers to evangelism and remove them from your life. Identify barriers to evangelism and remove them from your life. Now, it's normal for us as everyday, middle-class, normal Americans to have busy seasons and slow seasons in our lives where we got all kind of different activities and things like that going on. And one reason that um, we have busy seasons could be work, could be some illnesses, our kids could get sick and just whatever, just life in general is happening, right? And so sometimes what that does for us is if we're not intentional about Doing evangelism, it won't happen, because life will just get busy, and you may have every intention of doing the right thing, but then you never actually do it, and the reason is because you didn't plan it. You didn't, like, literally write it in your schedule. That make sense to you? I'm pretty sure everybody in this room is guilty of that. You had every, oh, brother, sister, I'm gonna pray for you, and you really meant it, and then you got busy, and you might, you just forgot, and time got away from you, and what you promised to do didn't happen, right? That's why it's very important. Evangelism is one of those things. What I'm saying is is if we don't plan these things, then they most often than not, even with the right intention, they don't happen, okay? So we need to try to look for these barriers in our lives and try to figure out some ways that we can minimize those things, right? So here are three questions we need to look at and probe ourselves to see how we or reasons why we might not be sharing the gospel, right? So the first question is, is are you motivated? Are you motivated to share the gospel? Do you desire to do what Jesus commanded us to do in the Great Commission? So believe it or not, when it comes to evangelism, one of the most important factors is not how well you know the gospel one of the most important factors is, are you motivated to share it? Okay? And this is not about whether or not you're introvert or extrovert, or you're gifted to, to, to do evangelism. And all. No, no, no. Are you motivated to share the gospel with your non-Christian friends? That is ultimately one of the most important things in evangelism is having the right desire to do it. Hold your question for one second, okay? So desire and motivation are so important because desire and motivation, they, don't, they not only determine if you will share the gospel, but they also determine how you will share the gospel. That make sense to you? If I don't desire to share the gospel, I'm not going to. Right? It doesn't matter if you have you can pray for all the opportunities in the world to share the gospel, but if you don't have the desire to do it, you're not going to. Right? You could be equipped to share the gospel, but if you don't have the desire to share the gospel, you're not going to. The Lord commanded you to share the gospel, but if you do not have the desire in the motivation to share the gospel, you're not going to. I had two questions. You're first. Um, so would you say that like uh, there's a new difference
1: between like motivation? So you said if I have the
0: motivation to do it, then i probably do it, right? What I said was is if you don't have the motivation to do it, you're for certainly not going to. I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's
0: possible. Yes. I, that's a possibility for sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, that, that's definitely one of the factors. Right. Like I said, I I don't, I try not to impugn people's motives. Right? I can't peer into your heart. I don't know what's going on in your heart. Okay. I try to, I try to be as gracious as possible and assume the best of you. Okay. But if you don't, if you're, if you don't have the desire to do this, you're, you're probably not going to. Right. You're probably just not going to do it. So the book of Jonah is a perfect illustration of this, right? Jonah is fully equipped to evangelize the people of Nineveh. The Lord commissioned them to go. The Lord himself came to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh. The Lord gave Jonah the words to speak when he got to Nineveh. So the Lord showed him what to say. The Lord showed him where to go. And the Lord himself commissioned him, and Jonah didn't go. Why didn't Jonah go? Because he didn't desire to see those people saved. If you remember, at the, at the, in the third chapter, Jonah said, that's why I didn't want to come here. Because I knew, Lord, you was gracious, and you was going to save these people. That's why I didn't want to come in the first place. Right? That's what he said. So what he did to, he was he revealed his motive. So when you go back to the beginning of the story, ah, that's why he went to Tarshish instead of Nineveh because he didn't have a desire to see these Ninevites saved. That's why he didn't go. So he was equipped, he was commissioned, he knew what he was supposed to say, he had direction, he had everything he needed, fully equipped, but he didn't go because he wasn't motivated. He didn't have the desire. That's my point. Okay? Do are you motivated? Family, we are part of a church, and we desperately, here at First Baptist, what we do is we try as much as we can to equip the members of this church to preach the gospel. Amen? How many times have we done evangelism uh, course seminars in the last five years? At least three, right? And we constantly try to think of ways and opportunities to give the church, ways that, that um, individual church members, ways that We can um, teach you how to preach the gospel to equip you. We live in Las Vegas. You have ample opportunity to witness the gospel to people. So the opportunity is not the problem. We have to be motivated. You have to be motivated to see people come to Christ. You have to be motivated to see people who is not giving God his due glory, give him his glory. You have to have that motivation. Until you get that motivation, you probably won't go. Okay, so the question is, is are you motivated? Are you motivated to preach the gospel? Not only must you be motivated, but you have to have the right motives. They have to be motives, because, like I said, our motives not only determine if we go, they'll determine how we go. Right. So let me ask you this question. What are some sinful motives for evangelism that you can think of? So the question is, what are some simple motives for doing evangelism? Not not for doing it, for going to do it. What'd you say? Self glory. He's gonna say the same thing. Anybody else? Self righteousness. Self righteousness. I've seen people do it in a way that they're condemning sin, which is essential to the gospel, but in a way that they don't actually give the gospel. Okay. All right. They hate sin more than they want to see people come to Christ. Okay. I'm sorry. Attention, Attention, yeah. That's that's, that's one. Some people are, sad to say, some people are just contentious. That's a real thing. There are just some people who like the fight. They love the fight. You know what I mean? There are people like that. Yeah, okay. So, yes, ma'am. That's right. That's right. I did what I was supposed to do. Jesus loves me now. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> amen. Those are all sinful motives, right? Those are all sinful motives. But <clears throat> I'm let, let me give you three good motives, three good reasons why you should be preaching the gospel. Obedience, it's so a command. Luke six forty six says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say?" Right? How do we know that you love the Lord? You do what he says. He's very clear. All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and preach the gospel. Okay? It is a command. Family, God loves us. He's patient with us. But he calls us to deny ourselves. He calls us to deny ourselves and to follow him. And part of following him is sharing the gospel. So this is part of the Great Commission. The right motive, number one, should be to evangelize out of obedience to God. Do what he tells you to do because you love him, right? Second is, is people are lost. Second motivation that you should, reason that you should, the second right motivation that you should have for witnessing is because people are lost. People are lost. If you don't make evangelism a priority and take it seriously, you're telling the world that you don't care if they go to hell. Do you understand that? That's what you're telling them. If you meet a person and you see them day after day after day, and they're telling you, and you know that they don't trust Christ, and you believe in your mind, you believe the gospel in your mind, and you can sit there and watch that person, and you know that person's going to hell. And you have the only way that can prevent them from doing that Right, And you intentionally and deliberately withhold it from them. You don't love that person. You don't. If you do not take this seriously, then you, just, you don't believe what the Word of God says. The only way lost people can be saved is by hearing the gospel and turning to Christ in repentance and faith. That means that they have to know it, they have to hear it, and believe it. That's the only way they can be saved. You know, how do I know you're a basketball player? Because you play basketball, <laughs> right? If you say you're ne- you know your neighbor's going to hell, and you don't help them, I don't believe you're not, that's not true, you don't believe that. Do you understand? The second right motivation is because people are lost, dead in sin and trespasses. And the third and final right motivation is for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. We're commanded to bring God glory. That's That's why you're here. The chief end of man is what? And every time you, every time a person comes to christ that is a person that is a that is a a a a spot in the universe that did not give god glory that now does and he deserves all of it and you and i are the means that god is using to get all of the glory that he deserves amen so those are your three right motivations for preaching the gospel obedience law you care actually care about lost people in God's glory. So let me reiterate this first question again. Are you motivated? Are you motivated? Okay. So after motivation comes the second factor, the second question, are you equipped? So are you equipped evangelism? And what I mean by equipped is, is, are you capable of sharing the gospel? Is it possible for you to explain to somebody what the gospel is? Okay. Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Are you able to give a reason for the hope that lies within you? So that means that you have to know the gospel and you have to be able to articulate it. Amen? Are you equipped? I want you to look at um, Acts 17.2 again. Acts 17.2. It says, and Paul went in, that's the synagogue, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. Okay? So this word here in verse 2 that says he reasoned, it's one of those English words where um, it's one of those, it's a, it's one of those, uh, so it's, it's translated reasoned in, in the ESV, but it's one of those things where when you translate something, it doesn't give the full expression of what the writer is trying to say because just the language barrier, okay? So this, this word reasoned is, is similar to our English word dialogue, Okay. And the same word is used all the way throughout the book of Acts. You see it in Acts 18, 19, but in Acts 18, 19, it's translated engaged in discussion. In Acts 19, 8, it's talking about conducting a discussion. And in other passages in Acts, Luke uses the same word to say he was speaking with somebody, he was speaking, or he was speaking about something, or he was, and sometimes it's even used when he's disputing, arguing back and forth. But in every single context, when he uses this word, it always involves speaking words with your mouth, okay? We have to actually talk to people about Jesus, okay? So here's, here's one of the things. When we say the good news of the gospel, what we're actually saying is, is that this is an announcement of what God did in human history to save sinners. You have to actually tell people what he did, amen? So there's this idea that's going around, that has been going around for a long time, that you could just love people to Jesus. It's not, no, that's not biblical, that's not evangelism. Listen, it is absolutely critical that people hear the gospel and respond in repentance and faith, and you have to love your neighbor. You have to do both. You have to do both. Okay, so I had a friend in my neighborhood when we was growing up. Everybody hated him because he always tried to get everybody to fight each other, okay, and sometimes that's what we do as Christians. We pit two ideas against one another when you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to determine what's more important, preaching the gospel and love your neighbor. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do both of them. I say this all the time. My boys got to clean their room and respect their mother. They don't get to say, oh, I can't clean my room because I got to respect my mom. No, no, no. You got to do both of those at the same time. Right? Yes, ma'am. I'm going to talk about that. So Listen. We have to be very careful here, brothers and sisters, not to conflate the great commission with the greatest commandment. You understand what I mean when I say that? We got to be careful not to push those two things together or make them fight against one each other, make them fight against one each other. We're responsible to two, both of those. We talked about this in our D group on Friday, okay? Human beings, right? What makes you and I human is, is that we're Body and spirit, we are co-joined bodies and spirit, right? So when you meet a person's physical need, you're loving that person. When you meet a person's spiritual need, you're loving that person. And to neglect either is sinful. Amen? So if there's every idea in your head that you start playing around with, where you start thinking, you start trying to elevate one above the other, you need to repent. You need to repent. One is not more important to the other. You are commanded by your Lord and Savior to do both. If you got enough time to hand somebody a sandwich, you got enough time to tell them about Jesus. Amen? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What, what's, what's, what is it? What's the, what's the point? You're going to feed them? Get him, a, get him a full belly, he's just going to go to hell fat? What good is that? And conversely, if you have and you can help a person and you don't, that's sinful too. Why are, you, why are we pitting two ideas against one another when they don't have to be? Why would, we, why would you do that? That's like making two brothers fight each other. You need a spanking for that. That's wicked evil. You don't do that. You don't even have to do that. Do both. Do both. Amen? Amen. So this means we have to, what I means is, is that it's, it, um, we have to know how to explain and articulate our faith for the sake of the loss and the glory of God. You can't preach the gospel if you don't know it. Right. You have to know it. And then he says here in Paul, he says he. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. He actually talked to them and explained to them. And then he says here, he says in verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and die. Do you know why Jesus had to die? Do you know why? Not that, yes, he did. We, we all, hopefully in this room, believe that he did, knows that he did. But do you know why it was necessary? Say that again. So if you say to a person who's never walked into a church before, propitiation, what are they going to look at you and say? (laughs) What are you talking about? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, sir. Thank you, brother. All those answers are right. Here's the point. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. Okay? You have to interpret Christianese. Do you understand? Like, my, I wasn't trying to make fun of Christian, even though I take a lot of pride in making fun of Christian. But <laughs> the point is, is that propitiation is a good biblical word. Amen. Hallelujah. We're saved because of it. But you got to be able to explain to people what that means. You got to be able to explain to people not just that Jesus died, but why he had to. You can't not. Listen, you don't have salvation if you don't have a crucified Savior. But you got to explain why. That's why it's really good for you to get around like some, like some little kids, four or five-year-olds, because they're going to keep asking you Why? 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 And if you start, oh, because we need propitiation. What's that? Right? And you got to be able to explain yourself. You got to be able to give this hope that that's what I mean when I say that you have to be equipped and you have to actually talk to people. Right? Those things are, you can't do evangelism well without being able to do those things. Right? Right? So I mean, you have to learn, you have to learn how to explain yourself. You have to learn how to explain and articulate what the gospel is, why it was necessary. You have to be able to explain it in a way that people who've never walked in a church before can understand it, right? If you're going to do evangelism, and you have to talk, to you have to actually talk to people, Amen. So that means you, gotta, you have to learn how to do this. you got to be equipped to do this. So would anybody in here like to share how you learned to share the gospel? What's your name, brother? Thomas. Thomas, Thomas is going to tell us how he learned how to share the gospel. Hold on a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on.
1: Cut town in Christ. Uh, i crying out to God. I don't want to fall. I don't want to, I don't want to create false converts. Uh, I, I want to be biblically sound. Show me, lead me, guide me. And I was looking through book, some Christian books and found out I found great comfort in Kirk Cameron, the yeah, the, the way, the way, of the Master. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Spirit put it on my heart to that presented me and man. That's how I learned how to hit the people with the law. The law is our schoolmaster who leads to Christ. Yeah. We're all guilty. Everyone's guilty. We've all sinned against God. We've all broken His laws. So when you take somebody through some of those commandments and ask them to ever lied, stolen, you know the Lord's name made, always obey your mother and your father. No one on the whole planet can say that they're innocent and have not going into those laws. That's a good way <laughs> to for a new beginner to learn to biblically Lead somebody to Christ. To show them their guilt, show them the righteousness that they need. It's only through the sacrifice and death of Christ, and uh, the devastating consequences of rejecting that sacrifice. Amen. Yep.
0: Thank you. So one of the things about um, that program that's good is is that uh, it helps when you're when it kind of gives you a format to follow when you are new to. you know trying to evangelize or whatnot but the that's good thank you brother so um so that's one way you can learn like that another way you can learn is like what we talked about a couple weeks ago get discipled by somebody who does evangelism you know what i mean cuz um there may be situations where you 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 have to go further than when you actually so let's say you meet somebody and you use this technique this uh and then now they Okay, so now they're interested. Now they're on a the step two, and they got more questions now, right? Now you got to know more, <laughs> right? So my point, though, is is that, so the question I'm asking is is how you learn to share the gospel. What are some tools or some things that you can use? One of the things, like, obviously is books, right? And you read books by really good evangelists, people who, who have a heart for evangelism, who've done it a lot in different areas and different contexts and different people, groups you can read all of those types of things. And what's what yes brother. Uh, there's this one yellow track I think we usually have out there uh, that has the gospel laid out in just Bible verses that you can so Yes. Okay, so he said there's bi- there's Bible tracks. A specific Bible track that shows you how the gospel is, like a a very specific way to share the gospel. Yes, sir? Okay, yeah, that was the, right, yes, you got to do it, right? But so we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? We talked about getting discipled by somebody who actually does it, right? Because every encounter is not going to be the same. They're unique, and depending on, a person's background or age and all these different factors is going to determine how, you know, what that's going to look like. And not to say that, OK, so the gospel is the only thing that can save anybody, regardless of what background they come from. OK, but it's very helpful to know how you should navigate that conversation depending on who you're talking to. Right. Because they all have different people from different cultures all have particular idols that need to be tore down. And if you don't know that, you're going to spend a lot of time running in a lot of circles when you could have just went to the real problem. That makes sense to you? Okay, yes, that is true. That is definitely read the Bible and study what the apostles and Jesus Christ did, but it is also wise to, because you should be getting discipled. Right? That should be happening to you as a believer, regardless. And whoever's discipling you should be sharing the gospel, and so they should be discipling you in that area as well. So yes, you're correct, but also I think it's wise for us. because the So the Bible tells us everything we need to know about faith and practice. The Bible doesn't tell us everything we should do every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Amen? So that takes wisdom. That takes wisdom on how to apply what the scriptures say, and usually... Typically, older, more mature Christians are far better at that than the younger ones are. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody. All right. <laughs> um, so the first question was, are you motivated? The second question, are you equipped? And the last question is, is are you available? Are you available for evangelism? Are you physically available to evangelize? All right. Are you ever around non-christians are you ever around non-christians have you constructed your life in such a way that you're only ever around people who claim to be believers and it's very easy to do right and so and if the, so here's here's the one particular case i say happen it happens really quickly Married women with children stay at home moms that's just one example where you can find yourself um I'm really only around a certain I'm around my kids I go to church and I really don't see anybody else that particular that's just one example i'm sure there's other i'm just that's just the one first one that's coming to mind I'm not picking on them, but what I'm saying is is that they that particular group, they have to intentionally and deliberately find ways to get around people that are not saved. They have to actually like, like figure out how that's gonna happen. So if, cause I go to work every day, right? I'm just automatically around unbelievers, right? I mean, I don't have to go looking for them. I just gotta get a job, <laughs> right? My wife, on the other hand, it's going to be a, a little more difficult because of the station in life that she's in right now. So she's going to have to work harder at getting herself in that position. that makes sense to you? So are you available for evangelism? So let me give you some, Like, So there's not an area of your life that you cannot use to evangelize the lost. You understand what I'm getting at? So when the Lord saved me, I was... I was writing and recording music, and then he saved me, and I started writing and recording music about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I used that as an opportunity to go out and do concerts and, and try to witness the people there. Then when I stopped doing that, I started working at this large corporation, and then that became the place, my mission field, where I started to try to witness the people. So wherever you find yourself around unbelievers, it's pre- witness to them right? And if you are in a situation or a stage in life where it's, you're not around unbelievers like that, figure out ways to put yourself there. Figure out ways where you can be in the presence of people that don't know Jesus, right? So how can you strategically be around people that are lost for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of that person's soul, right? So Roman numeral number two, right? You have to be intentional in evangelism, right? You have to turn commonplace conversation into external exchanges. Now, some of us are far easier at this than others. Some people are just more comfortable with turning these conversations in, like, you know, regular everyday conversations into, um, you know, gospel conversations. I had a coworker guy, he started working there. I was his chaperone, and I said, hey, we're going to lunch today. I'm talking to you about Jesus at 1230. Okay? Now, I know everybody's not going to do that. And I'm not suggesting that you have to do it that way. What I'm saying is, is that you have to figure out some kind of way how to turn these conversations into your conversations with non-Christians into eternal conversations. It's not as difficult as you think. Most often than not, it's we're, we're afraid. We don't want to be rejected or we don't want to lose friends. But what you have to do, just lean into it. You do you realize that you believe that a man died and resurrected three days later and he floated up on a cloud and he's coming back one day to get you and all of your friends? You know that sounds crazy to people that don't believe the gospel, right? So let me just assuage some of your fears. People think you're crazy. Right? They already think that. Right? So just lean into it. (laughs) Just lean into it. Yes, sir.
1: Et cetera, et cetera. When you have a handful of scriptures <coughs> on your heart, break in your heart, you can spit it out any time in conversation when it's when it's necessary. That gives you the confidence. That gives you boldness. That gives you the boldness, and you're gonna overcome that fear, and you'll be bold for Christ. Right. That study the scriptures,
0: uh brothers and sisters. Study the scriptures, memorize the scriptures, amen. So one of the things you can do, if you look on the back of your hand, I, I'm running out of time, I kind of got stuck in one spot. Um those are some questions that might help you to kind of spark some ideas if you have some issues like jumping from you know regular conversations to eternal ones. You know, obviously it's easier. So some people say, um, you know, it's hard talking to complete strangers. Some people say it. I've heard people say like if they you know just walking up to somebody on the street and just talking to them about the God. I don't have that problem because I'm never seen. I probably never see this person again, right? You know what I mean? For me, I have the exact opposite. So, like, if I'm in a taxi cab, or do they use taxi cabs anymore? Uber? Whatever. Um, On the way to the airport or something, and I'm with somebody, and I know I may not ever see this person again, I mean, I'm okay with making a fool out of myself. For me, it's actually harder for people that I'm going to see on a regular basis, like my family. I, I, I suspect that it's a lot harder witnessing to your unsafe family members that you see on a regular basis than, 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 than most people. It, would, that be, would that be true? Yes. So you, yes, ma'am. It's to that sure, sure. So the point that I'm trying to make here is, is that, so there's no, you, there's no Bible verse that's going to tell you exactly what you should say in these encounters. That's why it's very important for you to know your Bible well right? To know your Bible well and to remember what's the aim, the salvation of the lost and the glory of God, right? That's your aim. That's your main aim. So there's a couple, I'm going to give you just a couple of different, I'm running out of time, I'm so sorry, Um, a couple of different ways that you can do these things. Um, If we're talking about like short Really quick um, opportunities where, you know, you might see somebody like in a grocery store or, you know, on a bus or something. I don't know. Give them a track. Give them a track. That, like if you don't have more than 20, 30 seconds, just give them a track. I know people who are saved right now because they read a track that somebody laid down somewhere. Okay? Don't discount that. The Lord could use all kinds of things to save people. Yes, ma'am. That's right. OK, let me give you some advice, though. Don't leave somebody uh, a zero tip and a track, OK? Don't do that, OK? <laughs> FYI, all right? Listen, so <clears throat> just, those are just a couple examples for when you got really short, quick encounters. For people that you, so then now there's people that you may see on a regular basis over and over again, but you don't know them personally. Like, for example, if you go to a grocery store and you see the same butcher over and over and over and over and over again, find out his name. Find out his name. Ask them about their weekend. What did you do this weekend? Oh, I went to church this weekend. (claps) Boom, there you go. See, so it's not as difficult to turn these conversations into gospel conversations, as we seem to think. You just got to jump in. One of the the things that I found that's really helpful, like with my coworkers, is when you see them, first first you got to pay attention, you got to care about them, right? Pay attention, and when you see them, just like distraught or something, just ask them if you could pray for them, right? Christian, you talk to a lot of atheists, right? Yeah. Have you ever had an atheist tell you don't pray for me
1: no.
0: did you hear that i'm i'm willing i'm almost certain that if you ask any one of your unbelieving co-workers when they are having some problems can i pray for you they're gonna tell you yes most people are not going to tell you don't pray for me yep. okay just ask them, pay attention to them, ask them. And that's a big thing, too, to be observant, because <clears throat> I, like, I, I say, if, I, if you would allow me, I say it like this, right? M- most people's problems, or most people's biggest problem is that they don't believe their issue is with God. Most people don't believe that their biggest issue is with God. Most people believe that their biggest issue is with something else. All the feminists think that their biggest issue is patriarchy, right? All the sovereign citizens think that their biggest issue is the United States government, okay? Everybody thinks that their biggest issue is some other institution or person. And their big, your biggest issue, if you're outside of Christ, is that you have to deal with the holy, eternal God of the universe. They just don't believe that, Right? So if you pay enough attention and just listen, they're going to let you know what they think their biggest problem is. And then you all you have to do is show them, hey, that may be a problem, but you got a bigger one over here looming. That's far bigger than that one. That guy's pointing a water gun at you. This guy's pointing the eternal weight of all your sin and the wrath of God against you. So you crying about a splinter, but it's something else bearing down on you right now that you need to deal with, right? So, like I say, I'm just trying to give you some practical ways to try to help. And every time you have an opportunity to love your neighbor, do it. Do it. Have you ever had your uh, neighbor over for dinner? Have you? had your neighbors over for dinner. Yes, ma'am. You should know all of your neighbors. You should know all of your neighbors. You should have prayed for all of your neighbors. Right? I'm just as guilty as anybody, right? It's very possible for us to get in our cars, go in our garage, leave, go to work, come back, let the garage door up and go back in and not know who lives two doors down from you. Okay? That should not be. There was a time when it wasn't like that. But now it's not like that. It's possible now for us to live in neighborhoods and not know any of the people that live around us. We, of all people, shouldn't be like that. Right? Every time you get an opportunity to love on your neighbor, love on your neighbor and talk to them about the Lord. Amen? So those are just some. Way. And then the last thing, because I'm running out of time, is that prepare, prepare, practice speaking to people about the gospel. Ha- recite it in your mind if you have to. Get a present. If you're just figuring this out, like learn in your mind what I'm going to say when I get an opportunity to preach the gospel about to somebody. That when I very first started doing this, I like. People are going to try to throw red herrings at you and try to get you off off course, right? And I always say the same thing to them. Hey, I'm not that smart. I can't talk about two things at one time. Just let me talk for like three minutes straight. And just tell them about Christ, right? And when they start going on and on about what the Bible doesn't say and they don't believe this and they don't, just keep, I know, I know. I know you don't believe it. I know you don't believe it. And just keep telling them. Because what the Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not our apologetics. Do you need apologetics? Yes. If you can't refute somebody's argument, the gospel can still save them. Amen? So first things first, learn to articulate the gospel and just practice. Just practice. Get with one of these other brothers in here and have them just try to just do some role playing. That's always helpful. Right? And then be strategic and be intentional. Find a place where you can go and you can witness to people. If you're not around, go at. make a decision. Every Thursday, I'm going to the Starbucks and I'm going to preach the gospel to the first person I see. Just be intentional. Make a plan and just write it down in a calendar and do it. And then lastly, we need to pray. Pray for God to give us true compassion for the lost that you're truly motivated to have true compassion for the lost. Pray that God give you boldness to speak about Christ as much as possible and pray that God gives you wisdom on what to say. Amen? So let's go to the Lord and ask him to help us. Lord God, we thank you for another opportunity to hear from your word today, oh God. Lord, you are good and kind and merciful to us, God. Help us, Lord, to believe that there are very many people who are lost and on their way, to stand before you and and they will be judged, God, and they will have to deal with you according to their sins. And Lord, you will not let the guilty go unpunished. But Lord, you have provided a way for us to be saved through your son, Christ. Help us, God, to believe that you can actually save people, God, through the message of the gospel. Help us, God, to be faithful to your word. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.